again. And as, um, as Jonathan said, beginning today, we are going to be spending the summer months looking at the patriarchs and the matriarchs in Genesis. Okay, so we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. We're going to look at Isaac and Rebecca. We're going to look at Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And then finally, we are going to finish up with Joseph. But today we're going to start where it all started, really, which, was, uh, which is with Abraham. Okay, and the year is two th- around 2100 BC, which if you think about it, is as many years before Christ as we are after Christ. And the place is Ur of the Chaldees, Ur of the Chaldeans, in what uh, would become Babylonia. And that is a city, this is where Abraham comes from, it's a city that archaeology tells us was rich, sophisticated, and comfortable. As we say, the person is Abram, who becomes Abraham. And whether or not you know it, most of us, probably all of us in this room, share at least one thing in common with Abraham. And that is that you've moved countries. You've changed uh, where you live, the country you live in. Except Abraham did not move to go to university. He didn't move for his career. He didn't even move as a refugee. Abraham moved in response to the call and the promises of God. And even if you don't realize it, okay, it is that promise of God to Abraham that links you to Abraham even more than moving countries. Because that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the promise. We're going we're to look at three things. The promise made, the promise risked, and the promise fulfilled. Okay, first one then, the promise made. Now, if you know, the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 by telling us that God began the work of creation by speaking. Genesis 1 verse 3. And God said, let there be light. Now, if you look at our text this morning from Genesis 12, that also tells us that God's work of new creation, God's work of blessing the world, of making right everything that is wrong, of healing every hurt, also begins with God speaking. There's going to be a blessing that spreads out as far as the curse is found. Verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so God speaks. That's how it all begins. But Abraham's still got to do something, hasn't he? If blessing is going to come to the world, Abraham's got to act. Abraham's got to obey. He's got to leave his country, his kindred, his father's family. He's got to do something. And yet, if we think that is all that is going on here, we totally miss the point of what is going on here. 
Okay, just look at the phrase that keeps on getting repeated throughout. I will. And God says, I will show you. I will make of you. I will bless you. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who don't. Think how that compares to everything else that is on offer to you out there. Whether it's the five pillars of Islam, or the eightfold noble path of Buddhism, or any number of books, self-help books, you could pick up in the airport bookshop, like the 12 rules to life. Other religions or self-help authors tell you, if you want to make the world a better place, if you want to make yourself a better person, if you want to be all that you should be, if you want to help make the world all that it should be, you need to obey, you need to do, and here is your to-do list. The five, eight, no, twelve things that you need to do. Listen, that is not the message of the Bible, is it? In fact, the message of the Bible is the opposite of that. Because God's plan to bless the world and to heal all hurts and to right all wrongs is not a list that Abraham must do or even that you and I must do. It's a promise of what God is going to do. But to be a part of that, Abraham's got to trust and he's got to obey. Look again at verse 1. Go from your country to the land that I will show you. That's his only map. Okay, that's all he's got to go on, isn't it? Abram, you've got to leave your homeland and go to another land. Now, if that was you or me, what, what would we be thinking? You know, our, our natural, entirely understandable response would probably be something like, yeah, I'm up for that, God. I will go where you want me to go. I mean, I'd rather it wasn't Germany, but just about anywhere else is acceptable. Um, but, but tell me where to go, and I will go. If that was Abraham's response, it's as if God replies, you want to know where to go? Well, I will tell you later. I'll tell you when you get there. And so God's call on Abraham, it's a call to trust. You're not going to know until you arrive. It is a call to swap the known for the unknown the familiar for the unfamiliar, and to trust that God knows what he is doing in that doing. You see, if God is to do his work of blessing through Abraham, Abraham, he's got to say goodbye to the normal. He's got to say goodbye to what he knows. As the writer to the Hebrews puts it, and he, Abraham, went out, not knowing where he was going. And there is a sense in which if God is to work through any of our lives, if we are to genuinely be a blessing out there in the world, if he's genuinely to work through us to see others blessed, we all also have to be willing to say goodbye to the life that we think is normal or to the life that we are used to. Not necessarily to our homes or our countries, so that may, may be true uh, for some of us, as it was for Abraham, but certainly to say goodbye to our comfort 
and to our security. Maybe to say goodbye to the well-ordered life of the familiar. And if you think about it, that is what the disciples had to do. That's what they experienced as they responded to the call to follow Jesus. They're just having a normal day, aren't they? They're there on the beach, normal working day, mending their nets, washing their nets, just day like any other day until Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And the Gospels tell us they left their nets and followed him. They left their lives as they knew them and followed him. And so like Abraham, if you and I are to be a part of God's work, in extending his blessing into the world, a world that needs that blessing, we may also have to say goodbye to our nicely ordered lives or to some pleasure that we live for or maybe to some prejudice against other people that we hold. Because whenever God calls you to join in his work, there's always a leaving behind of something. Maybe some sin that you're holding on to maybe some security. There's always a letting go of something, whether it's unforgiveness or comfort. And yet, as Abraham packed up and left, if you noticed in the reading, there would have been one huge question ringing like a bell in his heart. Because verse two, God says, and I will make of you a great nation. But what's the defining issue in Abram's life? What, 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 what does he, he lie in bed thinking about? Because it's not that he's living a life of comfort, is it? It's not that he is living a comfortable life surrounded by his family and his friends. It was that he had no family, at least no family of his own. Because chapter 11, verse 30, Sarah was barren, she had no child. And any couple who has struggled with infertility knows how that can become an all-consuming issue. If that is true today, and it is, what would it have been like for them in their day when to be childless was to have failed failed to secure your future, failed to secure your, your security for the future, failed to have passed on your name, failed to have the next generation who could look after you into your future. And worst of all, it was to have offended the gods. That's why they were barren. And yet here is God promising to make from Abraham a great nation when all along Abraham is lying in bed thinking, but my wife is infertile. Sure, I would love that God, if only. You see, when God promises to make Abraham's name great and to give him a land, Abraham could have achieved both of those on his own, couldn't he? I mean, if he had worked hard, invested wisely, built up his business portfolio, Abraham could have made his own name great. Could have been the Jeff Bezos of the second, second millennium BC. And if he had played his cards right, if he'd built up his alliances, formed and trained his own private military militia, 
he could probably have gained himself a land. The one thing he could not do on his own was to make of himself a great nation because his wife is barren and he's 75. He gave up, this might be gnawing away at him, but he gave up hope of having children years ago. And so it's not just that God announces his plan to bless the world and it's all gonna be God's doing. And it's not just that Abraham must leave the safety of the known for the unknown. It's that God is going to bring hope out of hopelessness. God is going to bring life out of death. And from a barren woman, God is going to bring forth a nation. And what Abraham and Sarah could never do, God says he is going to do. But if they're going to see that happen, they're going to have to trust him. Think for a moment how that might be true for you. Maybe you are facing a situation that seems hopeless, or maybe you're facing a situation where it feels like you are being required to take a step into the unknown. Or maybe you're facing a situation where you know that you cannot fix this on your own. And here is God telling you, trust me, I'm the God of the barren. I'm the God who brings life in place of death. I'm the God who brings hope out of hopelessness. I'm the God who brings blessing in the place of curse. Or maybe you're not yet a Christian, but you know enough already to know that you should be one. But you also know that to become a Christian means saying goodbye to some things that maybe you want to hold on to. It means stepping out into the unknown. It means recognizing like Abraham, that you can't do this on your own. You can't save yourself on your own. And you are debating, should I do it or not? Should I take this step or not? And God is saying, trust me, trust me. And if there is any hesitation in Abraham's heart, God tells him something to help him come to a decision. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in Abraham's time, if a king made a covenant with a chieftain or a people group whom he had conquered, that covenant would stipulate from now on, we are, you and me, king and people, king and chieftain, from now on, you and me, we are going to have the same friends and the same enemies. And here is God saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to do the same with you. From now on, I'm going to be your king and you are under my protection. Any enemy of yours is gonna be an enemy of mine, and any friend of yours is gonna be a friend of mine. And so if you look at it, in the end, this isn't Abraham saying goodbye to security. It's not even Abraham saying goodbye to the protection of home. He is exchanging that kind of security, that kind of protection, for a far better one. And so to trust God is not a leap into a dark void. To trust God is a leap into safe and strong arms. Verse three again. And in you, 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham is going to be blessed to be a blessing. And from Abraham and through Abraham, the blessing of God is going to come in ways that extend way beyond Abraham. They're great promises. Yet despite all of those promises, when Abraham arrives in Canaan, things do not work out exactly as he might have anticipated, do they? Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. Second point then, the promise risked. Okay, so Abraham, he's obeyed God. He said goodbye to the familiarity of home. He said goodbye to the security of what he knew. And now he is in Canaan. And verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is it, Abraham. You've arrived. So here he is, Abram. He is right where God wants him to be. He is in the middle of the land of promise. And there is a famine. I mean, he would be forgiven for thinking, uh, let me just get this right, God. Okay, you have told me to leave everything and come here. And you have made all of these promises, and it ends with a famine? Listen, you can be exactly where God wants you to be. You can be walking in obedience to him. You can be the heir of incredible promises, and yet your crops aren't growing, and the ground is parched and cracked, and the cupboard is empty, and your bank balance is running dry. And it all seems to be falling apart. Verse 10. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, heading to Egypt in the midst of a famine to get food, that may be the best and the wisest thing he could do, couldn't it? And we're told that Abraham went to sojourn there, which means he's going there deliberately thinking of a short stay. Is any ever meant to be a short stay? Yet where's the land of promise? It's Canaan, not Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, it's there that things begin to unravel. You see, whilst in Canaan he risked going hungry, in Egypt it's his character and it's his integrity that are at risk. Verses 11 to 13. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, Abraham's not exactly lying, is he? Sarah was his half-sister. But at very best, he is being deceitful. And while pharaohs and kings were always looking for the next beautiful woman to add to their harems, Abraham is willing to put his wife in danger to save himself. Because when he says that it may go well with me, it's clear he's really only thinking about one person, isn't it? 
Okay, he's thinking of number one. And so while God has promised to make a nation from Abraham, which means that no ultimate harm can befall Abraham, in this moment, it is not God's word that is governing Abraham's heart. What is it? It's fear of others, isn't it? It's the thought of what other people could do to him, might possibly do to him. And so the man who moved out by faith has moved from faith to fear. But in doing so, it's not just his character or his integrity that he's put at risk. It's not even just his wife who he's put in danger, though he has. Humanly speaking, it's God's promise that he's risking. Verses 14 and 15. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And so Sarah, Abraham's wife, the one through whom God promises to build a nation and bless the world, is in the house and potentially in the arms of another man. But of course, Abraham is amply rewarded for letting his so-called sister go, isn't he? Verse 16. And for her sake, he, Pharaoh, dealt well with Abraham, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Imagine how somebody could use that as justification for their behavior. You know, I know I told a white lie. I know that some legalistic religious people out there could accuse me of moral or ethical or spiritual compromise. But come on, look at the fruit. Look at all the camels. Look at all the donkeys. Look at all the servants. This has got to be the blessing of God. And we might think, yeah, but my paper got published. Or I got that job. Or I got the girl. Or my reputation is growing. This must be the blessing of God. And so in fleeing one danger, famine, Abraham has put himself at risk of far greater dangers. And the desire to be a part of God's blessing is at risk of being derailed by hunger, fear, and riches. Okay, think how that might work for us. I mean, it's unlikely to be hunger for food that makes you or I compromise ethically. But it might be another kind of hunger, mightn't it? could be a hunger, a desire for something other than food, like a romantic relationship, or recognition, or the next great experience. And it doesn't, happen, it doesn't have to be fear of famine or fear of Pharaoh. It could be the fear of missing out. It could be a fear of failure or the fear of what other people might think of you. And it doesn't have to be the riches of cattle or camels but it could be the riches of a better paid job or a more prestigious position. And like Abraham, desires, hunger, fear, and wealth can cause us to compromise and risk something of far greater value. 
But while Abraham may be in danger of losing sight of the promise, God has not, not for a moment. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And now Pharaoh cannot get her out of his house quickly enough. And as a result, chapter 13, verse one, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. And Abraham is back in Canaan. You see, Abram's story, it's not just one of faith, is it? It's also one where we see him fail. Because the Bible isn't an account of perfect people getting everything right every time. The Bible is an account of how God takes the barren and makes them mothers. How he takes the cowardly and makes them courageous. How he takes the weak and makes them strong. But it's also about how he takes the fallen and makes them faithful and gives them a future. Because ultimately the story of Abraham, it's not about Abraham, is it? Ultimately, it is about Abraham's offspring. Last point then, the promise fulfilled. Go back to verse three, where God says to Abraham, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that is a promise that Abraham did not live to see fulfilled. In fact, if you think about it, it would be hundreds of years even before his descendants would inherit the land. And even then, far from becoming a blessing to other nations, the people of Israel ended up exiled in other nations. It's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, picks up this promise to Abraham and in Galatians 3 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Because the promise to Abraham was always pointing forward to the ultimate offspring of Abraham, to Christ, Abraham's seed. Because like Abraham, the Lord Jesus left his comfort, the comfort of his heavenly father's house and the security of his own country. And he too came to live among us as a stranger in a foreign land. And while here, Abraham put his wife at risk to save himself, that it might go well with him. Christ put himself at risk that it might go well with us and to save us. And more than risk himself, at the cross, Christ gave himself. And here, God promises that whoever dishonors Abraham, God will curse. What Genesis doesn't tell us is what Galatians does tell us, is that at the cross, God's own son will take that curse upon himself. The curse of all those who have dishonored God and failed to heed his promises. And here Abraham is blessed with possessions, 
despite his sin. But at the cross for our sin, Christ was stripped of every one of his possessions that we might be blessed with things of far greater worth than money. And here, God promises to bring life and blessing from a barren couple. I ask you, what is more barren than the grave? What's more barren than the tomb? No life or blessing ever came from there until God raised Christ from the dead and out of death he brought life and out of hopelessness he brought hope because the weakness of the cross is the power and the strength of God. The power and the strength of God for the blessing of the world because through Christ's death and resurrection and through his ascension and the outpouring of the spirit, the blessing of Abraham has now been turned outwards to the nations. As Jesus said to the disciples, all authority on heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, disciples, followers of Jesus, who know that we are saved and justified by what Christ has done, the I will and the I have done of God, not by the I've got to do list of religions or self-help. Disciples, followers of Jesus, who know that just like Abraham, we have failed to live as we should, but to whom God has shown mercy and grace and blessing and blessed us to be a blessing. Because if you think about it, any genuine encounter with God's grace, any genuine encounter with his promises fulfilled in Christ will always lead us to take that same grace out towards others. As Jesus said to the disciples after his resurrection, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So this week, take time to ponder how Christ left his comfort for you. And then look for opportunities to step out of your comfort zone, as Abraham did, and share that grace with others. It might be welcoming a newcomer or engaging with a neighbour. It might be forgiving one who has hurt you or encouraging somebody else who needs it. It might be speaking up. It might be staying silent. It might be trusting God when it feels like you are in a famine and staying steadfast for the sake of those whom you love. And if you're not yet a Christian, maybe it is time to put your faith in what Christ has done for you and step out into the future, however uncertain that might look. Whatever it is, through Christ, you have become a partaker in God's promise to Abraham. So let's thank God, let's trust Christ, and let's share that blessing with the world that needs it. Let's pray.